0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we'll be starting. Again, we, we need to announce that uh, our church family is growing by leaps and bounds. Another little one was born this week. Uh, Beth had her baby. Luella's a grandma again. So we're, uh, we're excited. And uh, <clears throat> Hey, little by little, right? Step by step, piece by piece. Uh, God puts all the pieces together. Well, if you turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you remember that as we've taken a look here at 2 Corinthians, Paul's really been opening up his heart. He's been bearing his heart for the church at Corinth and, you know, trying to to let them see. 1 Corinthians he wrote because there's a lot of problems, a lot of troubles, and and they kind of dealt with that. But now he's just opening up his heart and saying, guys, this is what ministry is all about. This is what it means to minister, to, to, to serve. The word minister is, or ministry is just diakono. Same word we get for the word deacon. And all it means is to serve. It's not some exalted term uh, except in Christ's eyes. Because Christ calls us to be servant of all. Remember? If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of of all, That's what ministering is all about. That's what being in the ministry is. That's why when the Word calls us ministers, it's not just talking to me, it's talking to all of us. That we are all called to be servants, to serve one another, to follow the example of Jesus Christ, who probably was the only totally others-centered person ever. That it was never about what was right for him. What was right for him was not to go to the cross. But what was right for us was. So Jesus gives us that that great example. And actually, Paul is an incredible example to us as well of just not being about self. Folks, the greatest problem in our nation is not necessarily the president. (laughs) It's close, but not necessarily. Greatest problem in our country is selfishness. Selfishness leads to all that other stuff. It's all about self. What's in it for me? How's this going to help me? How how do I get over? Who do I got to step on so that I can get over? That's that's the way the attitude is. But, But God calls us to an attitude of selflessness. He calls us to walk as ministers of the gospel, servants in the word of God. And he gave us a clue on how to do that. He said, we must walk by faith and not by sight. Because you know your eyes play tricks on you, right? You look around at your circumstances and you think, oh man, God hates me. Look what's happening. Look at how my life is falling apart. Look at all the things that I'm going through. Your eyes are lying. That's why God calls us to walk by faith. Not by sight, not by what we see, but by what we do not see. In fact, chapter five closed. Uh, chapter five closed, or actually, in chapter five, verse nine, he says um, that that our attitude is to be one like this. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing unto Him. At the end of chapter four, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen. But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And so often we allow those things that are temporary to be the rule in our life. Whether we're going to be doing okay, whether we're not doing okay. It's all about what we see. God's calling us to, to, to shut off that attitude that says, I think I know what's going on. And to rely or to press into him and allow God To be the one who shows us by faith what's going on. Listen, here's what he says in chapter 6. He says, Therefore, we then, as workers together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We then, as workers together, that by the way is to all of us. He's not calling us to be pew potatoes. He's calling us to be workers, servants, diakonos, those who are willing because of what God has done for them to do whatever God is calling them to do. Whatever they can do to forward what God wants. That's what He is calling us to in this place. Listen, He wants us to say, what can I do? Where can I fit? Where do I plug in? How am I a part of the body? What part of the body? Am I in so that he can bring that so that he can grow up the body of Christ in the Lord. We're called to be workers together, but not with us, not how we want to do it. God wants us to work his way. Workers together with him. He's the head. Remember, the body doesn't do much without the head, does it? It does a little without the head, but not too much. Well, I know it does a little without the head because yesterday we we killed chickens. Oh. And so the chickens do a little bit without the head, but they don't do much. The amazing thing is, you know what chickens will never do without the head? Cluck. <laughs> I think there's a lesson in there somewhere for us. <laughs> we need to we need to stop clucking. And and uh And allow the head, Jesus Christ, to guide and lead. To be that direction in our life. We want to work what he wants to do in our life. For what? For the grace of, so that the grace, try it again, not to receive the grace of God in vain. What's the point? Because God, when God pours out his grace on you, you cannot help but to want to respond to that grace. You cannot help it. It's what makes us, in the, in the midst of, of a worship song, when a when a worship song is, is touching our spirit. It's what makes us begin to weep or cry. It's what calls us to kneel. It's what calls us to lift our arms. All of those things is a response to the grace of God that is given to us. That the grace of God will not be in vain. That we don't look at the grace of God as a common thing, but we recognize the value of that grace. And because we recognize the value of that grace, Paul says, then I'll live my life with one goal, to be pleasing to him. That's the one goal. That's the singleness of purpose that the ministry is calling us to. Now, the good news about that is we can do that and accomplish any other job in the world. The only point is, I don't do that job so that I can be the man or buy that big house or win because I have the most toys. I do that job so that I can be pleasing to the Lord. I can do any job to be pleasing to Him. Any job if my focus is I want to glorify God in what I do, then Paul says you're not taking the grace of God as a useless, empty thing. But it has value to you. The value of God's grace calls us to do. If we're satisfied with not to do, then we are taking the grace of God as an empty thing common there's nothing special about it when the grace of god moves in our life and touches that spirit we have nothing can stop us from a desire to want to do what god is calling us to do this is what he's talking about so he says listen in an acceptable time i have heard you and in the day of salvation i have helped you the Lord's crying out, listen, I've given you what you need. You have what's required to accomplish those things that are laid out before you. All we have left to do is to walk in them. All we have left to do is to apply them. To say, Lord God, I want to be and do and act the way you're calling me to act. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in, uh, in verse 10, Paul would say to us, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. How? Because I labored more abundantly than they all. Not I, but the grace of God which is in me. It's not some unique thing that I have. It is my attitude. My attitude that says, Hey, I want to do all I can do for the Lord. Maybe I, maybe I can't do much, but I, I can do something. We talked a, a couple of weeks ago about a young boy who brought his lunch to Jesus. It wasn't much. And in that boy's eyes, if he's looking by sight, that lunch is not much. How can he feed 5,000 people with that little lunch? What was necessary to give it? When they gave it, what did Jesus do with it? He fed them all. There's no such thing as I don't have anything to give or I don't have much or I don't, I'm not very talented. It doesn't matter. You present yourself a living sacrifice. Jesus blesses it and touches people's lives so that the grace of God will not be in vain. He calls us to do. He calls us to move forward and accomplish that which He's calling us to. And Paul gives us this insight on that section of Scripture in Isaiah 49. He says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Is there ever a reason to wait? No. There's never a reason to wait. Ever, if someone says you know I'd like to become a Christian I want to put my faith and trust in God but I just have a lot of questions great I'm glad you have questions let's pray receive the Lord as your Savior and we'll answer the questions there's no reason to wait either you know you need a Savior or you don't today is the day well if I am saved today is the day of salvation what are we doing? who are we praying for? Who are we reaching out to? Who are we trying to affect? We can affect people's lives. You know as well as I do. We can affect people's lives without ever speaking a word. Words help. But we can affect their lives without, without speaking a word. We've all heard um, St. Francis of Assisi who said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. But the problem is, I think sometimes we forget that the things we do, the attitude we take with our, with our bodies, the things we say, the places we go, speak volumes about what we believe and whether or not we've received the grace of God in vain. We want to be about the Father's work. Jesus said, Occupy till I come. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Promise. I will come And when I come, I want to find you doing, being who you're supposed to be. That your colors would be clear. That the people around you aren't saying, man, I never knew you were a Christian. You go to church? Really? The building didn't fall down when you went inside? We don't want to be top secret Christians, we want to be out in the open. Out in the open, doing the things that God's calling us to do. Here's what he says in verse 3. For we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. He says, listen, we walk the talk. We want to... Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to fail. But what Paul's laying out for us here is my goal, my focus is to live my life blameless. That I do nothing that causes someone else to stumble, Or causes someone to blaspheme the name of God. Now we all can think of examples like that. In the scriptures, there's one, his name was David. You remember when David fell in sin with Bathsheba? He slept with Bathsheba, tried to cover up his sin, killed her, killed her husband, ends up marrying her. The the prophet Nathan came to David, told David a story, and then ultimately told David, listen, you're the man. You're the sinner. God saw your sin. You didn't get away with it. And then David fell on his face and, and pleaded for forgiveness and repentance and God forgave him. But then Nathan the prophet said this, but you have caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. By what you did, you caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, pushing people who don't know Jesus further away by our actions. Paul wasn't afraid to offend someone with the gospel. He just didn't want to be the offender. If the word of God offends somebody, so be it. If my attitude or my actions offends them, then I'm missing the point. The point is that you and I are called to give the pure water of God's word to people around us. But have you ever been super thirsty and you've seen that hose laying out in somebody's yard? You go up, turn on the hose to take a drink and it tastes like rubber? It's just not so good. It's not very refreshing, right? That's what it's like when we share the truth of God's Word, but we're offensive. Our attitudes are offensive. The way we speak or the things we do. We're tainting the pure water of the Word. We need to allow the pure water of the Word to do the work it's called to do. So live in our lives without offense. Paul says, I I am all things to all people. What did he mean by that? He's just wishy-washy? Well, sort of. He didn't offend somebody over some stupid little thing that doesn't really matter. I shared before, I remember growing up in a church and and the Jesus movement was just happening. A young guy in our town got saved. And and he came to church and he had his shirt untucked. I couldn't go to church like this. And there's no way they let me in with flip-flops. We're going to have a Sunday. We don't let anybody in church without flip-flops. So we'll get. <laughs> the point is. Then this, this, this elder come to the young man at the door. And said son. You can't come in here like that. You need to go home and get a belt. Tuck in your shirt. I never saw him again. That the pure water of the word of God. That's junk. That don't matter. That's your opinion about what it is. To come before the Lord and honor him. But when I read the stories of Jesus, I don't see him chasing nobody away because of the tattered clothes or the way they dressed or what they were about. The only people Jesus ever wanted to send away were the religious, the ones who came with all that weird attitude. He wants us to present the pure water, the word of God, so that all that anyone tastes is the word, not the one delivering the word. Then he goes on to say in verse four, but all things we commend, uh, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In everything we do, in everything we do, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Our job is to be a servant of the Most High God. This is what we're called to do. And then he says, he, he begins to, to apply that. He says, in much patience, hoopamone, It is an act of patience. Literally, it means endurance. We have need of endurance, the book of Hebrews tells us. We need to endure. And now, guess what he's going to do? Because Paul loves us so much, he's going to tell us what needs to happen in our life so that we can have endurance. The next nine phrases that he uses all revert back in the Greek to the phrase, we need to have much patience. In much patience. Guess what's going to top the list? In tribulation. In tribulation. It speaks of any kind of oppression. Any kind of oppression. We need to have patience. We're going to be the servants of God. We need to have patience. And we're going to gain that patience. How? In tribulation. That's what the word declares. Patience comes through tribulation. That's why people say, don't pray for patience. You know... Life's hard anyways. I say pray for patience. Get it sooner rather than later. Get the patience working in your life. Get that endurance in your life that you would endure through or in tribulation. Then he says in needs. In needs. We want to we have uh, patience in needs. He's talking about any unre- unre- unrelieved issue in your life. Is there any unrelieved issue in your life? There's this thing, and I've been praying and praying and praying about it, and God hasn't done anything about it. Great, because we need to serve in much patience, even in needs. Because in those needs, we learn to endure. So the Lord says, sometimes he makes it shorter, sometimes longer, but nonetheless, the value of the situation is that we would learn to endure in needs, when, when nothing's coming together, I still trust. And when nothing tr- comes together, I want to walk in patience. And then he says, in distresses. That word for distresses is literally the idea of this utter chaos going on. Everything's crazy and you don't know where to go. And you don't know where to turn. That's what it's speaking of. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, I don't know what to do, where to go, whether to take this or not to take that, to turn right or left. I don't know what to do. That is the Greek word for distresses. He says, we want to be ministers, diakonos, servants of the Most High God. We want to have this attitude of endurance and patience. And then the first three things that he lists are just general troubles, general trials, tribulation, any kind of oppression, Needs, anything unrelieved, an issue in your life that has not been solved yet. And distresses, when the pressure from outside has you in a spot where you don't know where to go. All of those things are are tools in a master's hand to develop you and I. To have patience, to move forward at the blessing of God. He calls us, therefore, in patience... In tribulation and needs and in distresses, then he goes to the man-made efforts. You say, "Well, okay, I, I get it. I can do it in tribulation and needs and distresses, fine. But you, you can't believe what so and so did to me. I don't have to be patient with that, do I? I don't need to to experience patience. You'll never believe what they said or what they did. Well, just in case that's how you're feeling, he gives us the next three. The next three in the triad about how to walk in patience are all about what someone else has done to you. Look at what he says. First one, in stripes, that's physical beatings. In imprisonments, well, that's pretty obvious. And in tumults, tumults are riots. Think about where Paul went, everywhere Paul went. The first thing he should have done when he came into a town is say, hey, could somebody show me where the jail is? Because that's where I'm going to spend a night tonight. (laughs) Because pretty much that's how it worked. He'd come in, start preaching. Next there'd be a riot. Next he'd end up in prison. Over and over and over again. Yet he never despaired that the Lord's not watching over me. Or that the service that I'm offering to the Lord is of no value. Because he realized in all these things he was enduring. That's part of our service to god even when man does something to you god calls us to have patience in first corinthians chapter 13 the love chapter uh, there's a specific word used to have patience with difficult people do you know what it is long-suffering long-suffering he wants us to be long-suffering to be patient with people. To, in, to, to receive the patience that God has for us. So the, those three are man-made. But then the last three of the, of the nine that we're looking at right now, the last three are self-inflicted. That means these are issues that, that Paul did to himself that he had to, to, to strive for patience in. What were they? In labors, in sleeplessness, and in fasting. In each one of those three cases, the Greek modifier with the word implies that it's all on him. He was without food because he wanted to be without food. He made the choice. He was without sleep because he chose to be without sleep. There was something else that he needed to do. There it's all about what he applied to himself in labors. Sometimes the labors that are uh, upon us as we seek to serve the Lord can grind us down. But nowhere in the scripture does Paul say if the labor of love that you're doing for the Lord is wearing you down, you better quit. It doesn't say that. Scripture lays out for us that I am to learn endurance, and I learn endurance by applying myself. If I am coming to a place of burnout, the problem is not the work, the problem is my attitude in the work. What am I doing the work for? Who am I doing the work for? Why am I laboring? If I'm laboring for self, I'm going to run out of juice. If I'm laboring for the Lord in the power of His Holy Spirit, I'm good to go. I just trust in Him. I don't need to look at all these things around me. I just need to trust in Him. There are oftentimes I look at my schedule and the things that are going on around church and and I think, well, oh, next month we'll catch a break, and next month we'll we're not gonna plan anything, but it just never works out that way. And something comes up or something's happening, and there seems to be this, this constant busyness, but it's a constant busyness that has been directed, supplied, and and gifted by the Lord. So we don't get worn out, burnt out, tired, frustrated. We say, hey. God's calling me to be his servant. And in that service, he's calling me to be patient. And in patience, he teaches me through the hard labors he calls me to do. So we go. We had a work day on Saturday. We had a, a work day out here and we took care of the weeds. Now listen, nowhere in all the hula ho You guys know what a hula hoe is? I, you don't know? It's a, it's a hole with, a, with, this is going to be hard to say. It's a hole with a hole in it. So you can scrape it through the weeds and the weeds get all cut underneath the ground and then you just rake them up. And nowhere in all the hula hoing or the weed whacking or the spraying do you ever go, woohoo, this is the most fun I have ever had. (laughs) But nonetheless, it's something God calls us to do. To serve. What do you mean? Nobody got saved when we were hula hoing. You're right. Nobody did. But God was working in my life, patience. And that will cause me to endure. And people will get saved because of that. When we learn to endure. And then he goes on now, if we're going to endure, we're going to experience this patience, how is it going to come? And then he lays out for us the fruits, the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Look at the 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 modifier change. Now, instead of in, we're talking about by. How are we going to do these things? By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere truth, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. He's saying, this is how we're going to accomplish it. And the first one he leads it off with is by purity. Why? Because God calls us to be separate. Not isolated. Separate. What does that mean? means to be separated from the world and to the Lord. You can be separated from the world and to a lot of things. But he wants us to be separate from the world and to the Lord. That God is central. As we've been studying through the book uh, or through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, we where we find ourselves in Numbers. And one of the things that's important for us to learn about the Book of Numbers is everywhere they went, wherever they went, God was central in the middle of the camp, and everything w- focused around that concept that God is central. That's what it means to be separate from the world. And separated to God. Is God central in your life? The reason I go to church is not necessarily so that I can do this, that, or the other. It is so that I can be near the Lord. Where two or three are gathered, what's the scripture say? There I am in your midst. We have an opportunity to commune or have intimate relationship with Him. With Him. Keeping Him central in everything we do. So we do that by purity. There are things in the world, you know, that stains us. It's interesting because as we studied the book of Leviticus, we learned something. Something that is unclean can make something that is clean dirty. But something that is clean can never make something that is unclean clean. You you guys already know that, right? I mean, for example, let's say that you come over to my house and I got a big bottle of mustard and squirted all over your shirt. And I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I got mustard all over your shirt. Let me go get one of my clean shirts. I go get one of my clean shirts and I rub it all over your mustard stained shirt. Did it make you clean? What did it do? made my shirt dirty. That's what happens. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 to present our bodies a living sacrifice. It goes on in verse 2 to say that we would not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind to the image of Jesus Christ. So we got to watch what we're rubbing ourselves up against. If we're walking in righteousness with the Lord, there are things that we can allow into our life that will stain us, that make us dirty, that hold us back, that keep us from moving forward with the Lord. You can make all the excuses that you want to for it. You can make all kinds of excuses how. It's okay. It's not a problem for me. It's all good. I don't know. The Bible tells us simple point. It says... To cast aside all the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares you. So if there's anything slowing you down from keeping Christ central. By purity, he's calling us to walk in a place where we're unstained by the world. In the world, but not of it. I can be in the world, but I don't have to rub myself up against everything that's in the world. He calls us to be pure by purity, by knowledge. That's an intimate knowledge, understanding, growing, learning by long suffering. That's patience with a troubled person. Someone that's difficult to get along with by kindness. That's just being nice. Bet you didn't know that was there. To be honest, I would like to take by kindness out. Is everybody okay with that? We'll just separate out by kindness and then I can be rude. Because I have the gift of rudeness and sarcasm. But just because you have the gift doesn't mean you have to use it, does it? Yeah. My wife be saying that right now, too. Amen. You preach it, brother. I'm buying this CD for Jackie so he can listen to it later. Kindness. He calls us to be nice. There's never a reason to be rude or a jerk. That's just our flesh, and that's allowing ourselves to be conformed into the image of the world, and I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind to the image of Christ. So there's some things I have to work at in my life. My natural course is to come up with some one-liner that makes me smile and somebody else go out. But he says to be kind." Period. Be nice. Be nice. My mom told me that all the time growing up. I should have learned it then. Then he says, by the Holy Spirit. How do we do all these things? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I can't, I can't say, you know, I read a, I read a book on, on uh, changing. And, and so I tell Kathy, babe, I'm not going to be rude or insensitive anymore. I'm always going to be kind and I'm going to be wonderful. Because I read this book and he told me how I need to do it. And I might get away with it for a day. But sooner or later, I'm going to mess it up because I'm doing it in the power of my flesh. And my flesh will always corrupt. How are we to do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Every moment, every time I fall, every struggle, I seek the Lord. God, I need your strength to get me through. Lord, I need you to get me through. Father, I need you to work this out. We've been doing Celebrate Recovery on Saturday nights. One of the first steps in recovery is denial. To stop denying the fact that you have a problem. So I have to realize, hey, I've got a problem. And I need to do something about that problem. Whatever it is. And then he goes on to tell us that I am powerless To overcome that problem on my own. I need the Lord in my life to accomplish it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to overcome. By sincere love, by the way, it would have been if he had put by love, we could have faked it. But when he said by sincere love, that means for real. You have to really love each other. Can't just pretend. You can't just say one thing on one side, and then when they walk away, say, oh, they're such a... You can't do that. He says, by sincere love. Well, how do I have sincere love? The love of God is poured out in your life through the Holy Spirit, which is given to you. You have the tools already. We just have to allow God to empower us to fulfill the call that he's given us. By the word of truth, through the word of God... How often you spend time in the Word of God? I gotta be in the Word of God every single day, every single morning, every single night. Anytime that I got some downtime, I could turn on the TV. I could watch History Channel. I could watch some goofy show and, and think, wow, this was really great for me to, to do. And, and immediately I'm being conformed into the image of this world because that's the influence that's in my life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to give up everything. you should never watch nothing, you should never read nothing, should never. Listen, I'm just saying God's word calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and our minds are renewed by the application of the Word of God. Put the Word of God in. See what it does. Put it in, continually putting the Word of God in our life, by the word of truth and by the power of God you guys know the power of God is still with us today? Do you know that God still heals? Do you know that God still does amazing works? Do you know that God is still busy about accomplishing all those things? The power of God will equip us to be more than what we are. But we got to tap in. we got to tap in. You know how some people tap into God, right? It's like when you were a kid and you used to play with a magnet... You ever play with a magnet and rub a paper clip on the magnet? And then a paperclip clip becomes a magnet? And you can go around and do things with a paper clip. Ooh, cool, I got a paperclip magnet, but after a couple of minutes, it loses its juice. And you gotta go back and rub it again on the magnet, and you rub it on the magnet, and you take it off, and it's a magnet again for a while until it loses its juice. That's how some of us live our life our spiritual life. We rub up next to the Lord. We, we go to church on Sunday. We, we do a little bit and we get all energized, magnetized, and we go out, but in a couple of days, we're out of juice. So we got to be constantly in the presence of God. Is God central in your life? If He's central, you can open up that, that, that paper clip and attach one end to the magnet, and the other end you can do whatever you want to do. And you never run out of juice because God's central in your life, and He affects everything you do. And that's what we want Him to do. He goes on to tell us then, By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, Oh, now all of a sudden he's he's switched it up and he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you how the world sees you and I'm going to tell you how God sees you. Here's how the world sees you. Dishonor, evil report, deceivers. How's God see you? Honor, good report, true. All the way through this section, look at it. As unknown and yet well known, as dying but behold we live, As chastened, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. If we want to walk in this world by sight, you'll see yourself the way the world sees you. If you want to walk in this world by faith, you'll see yourself the way God sees you. Doesn't mean that your circumstances have changed. But remember, you fight from victory, not for victory. Jesus already won. The battle has been finished. He just calls us to endure, to move forward. Listen. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Listen, Paul's saying, listen, I'm not on your case about, about doing something. The problem with you not moving forward is your own affection." What are your own affections spent on? If I'm not growing, if I'm not moving forward with the Lord, I may not be moving forward with the Lord because of where I spend my affection. There are things in my life that I like to do that the Bible doesn't say are a sin, that are weights or hold me back. And if I put all my affection on those things, I'm going to find myself drifting away from the Lord. Remember what is dirty can make clean dirty. And the only way to stay unspotted from the world is to be separated unto God. Keep God central. The middle of everything we do. He says, listen guys, your problem is where your affections are. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. He said, listen, I'm going to open my heart to you. Now you open your heart to receive. I'm going to open my heart to you, but you open your heart to receive. And he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, a lot of people take this verse and they apply it immediately to marriage. But listen, we're not talking about marriage here. Well, it applies. But this is talking about life. This is just talking about in everything. Not in in just one specific thing, he's laying out this simple fact. Do not be yoked together. And what does it mean to be yoked? The yoke was an instrument by which, if you were attached to this yoke with something else, you were forced to walk the same way that they were walking. Now, keep in mind, the book of Leviticus tells us that that which is clean cannot make the dirty clean. So if I yoke myself together with clean, with dirty, what's going to happen? I'm going to walk in dirt. Do not be yoked together unequally. He says, be yoked together with those who are moving in the same direction. This is not saying or talking about associating. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a relationship in which you can be influenced to change who you are and what you are about by the influence of another person. Uh, one specific easy one to point to is marriage. Because in marriage, you're going to be influenced. The way you walk, the things you do. Based on the one to whom you're married. The Lord is laying out for us. Do not be yoked together. Do not allow anything in the world to influence who you are. Remember Romans chapter 12. In fact, let's take a look at Romans chapter 12 real quick. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I want to be yoked together with someone or something that is going where I want to be. Let's say you're trying to get to Hawaii, and I'm going to Albuquerque. Maybe we shouldn't be yoked together. Because neither one of us going to get where we want to go. Right? What is your goal? When you look at whether or not you are yoked together with an unbeliever, whether or not you're yoked or being influenced by someone else's walk in your life, you need to look at what is my goal? Where am I trying to go? Where are they trying to go? Are we trying to go to the same place? That which is clean will only be made dirty by that which is unclean. Doesn't work the other way. The whole book of Leviticus is all about that. That which is unclean will remain unclean apart from a work of God. Then he says, "For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? You have different uh, moral, a uh, different moral compass, don't you?" I hope you have a different moral compass than an unbeliever. There are things that you say, well, what, what, I want to have business. I want, this guy's going to be my business partner. He's not, he's not saved. And, 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 and he kind of follows a whole different set of rules. And, and, I, and I follow a whole different set of rules. Well, th- then you're yoked unequally. He says, don't be unequally yoked together with anything that's going to influence your walk to, to call you to walk outside of what God's doing. What communion has light with darkness? Now listen, this is how we know. We're not just talking about an association. Communion implies a relationship where you are part of them and they are part of you. Do you understand? Communion, to commune with someone or to sit down together and have a meal together, that meal's in me, that meal's in them. We, by that meal, are joined together. That's how the Middle Eastern philosophy was. Communion. Part of me is in you, part of you is in me. So, what communion has light with darkness? How can there be an association? What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is a Hebrew word for wickedness or wretchedness. It's also used as a title for the devil. So, what what kind of a an agreement will you have? What kind of a an accord? Uh, the, the concept is playing music together. Isn't That kind of weird. Playing music together, what, what, what? How's the music going to sound? The devil's music and the Lord's music going to sound the same? It's not going to be the same. They're they're going two different ways. Now I'm not going to say certain notes are the devil's notes, nor are certain instruments the devil's instruments. Everything can present, be presented to God as an instrument of righteousness. Who is the person for whom you play? That's the attitude. Is there any accord between Christ and Belial? What part as a believer with an unbeliever? We're going different directions. What agreement as a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. You. Now when he says this phrase, you are the temple of God, earlier in 1 Corinthians he said, we individually are the temple of God. This scripture is speaking of we corporately. We together. Become the temple of God. The place where the Lord God dwells with us. He says, listen, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. That this is his focus. That this is his desire to be inside us, among us, working with us, guide us, lead us. If that's the case and we don't want the grace of God to be spent in vain, then we can't attach ourselves to other things that are going to take us the wrong way. If you want to go... Where God is, we have to be separate from that and attached to him. Anything short of that is going to find its way on the wrong road. A difficult path. A path we don't have to be on. A path that God calls us to stay away from. Therefore, look what he says. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. By the way, that word Almighty means the one who has his hand on everything. Now, just in case you're not sure what he's trying to say, he sums it all up in verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He's calling us to be different, to be clear, so that when people look at us, they can see the Lord. When people see us, they see that we have a relationship with Him. Folks, anything short of that, you're not putting your all in it. We're just pretending, wearing a mask. God wants us to be real. Oh, I may fail and I may fall and I may stumble, but God wants us to say, He is central in my life. He is central. He's given me grace. He's he's saved me by putting my faith and trust in Him. Now, that's His gift to me. What am I doing with it? What am I doing with the grace that's been given to me? He calls us, To either be for him or against him. Don't you hate those friends that you have that are not really your friends, they're everybody's friends, and you know as soon as you leave, they have something negative to say about you? Nobody likes those friends. Unfortunately, sometimes that's a relationship we have with the Lord. I can put on my chameleon colors and I can come to church and I can play church and look good for everybody else. But Monday through Saturday, I'm doing my own thing. The Lord's calling us to be different. Be separate. Come out from among them. God's calling us to a revival, to change. And we can let everything go like it is and we can just muddle our way through life and at the end, hope everything's good to go. Or we can live our life fully for the Lord. But it doesn't mean that everybody's got to be a preacher or a evangelist or stand on a street corner with a bullhorn. It just means that Christ is central in everything I do. When I go to work, the reason I show up early, the reason I stay late, the reason I try to outwork anybody else, the the reason behind everything I do is to honor and glorify Him. That's what He's asking for. He says, I don't want a piece of your heart. I don't want one room in your house. I want all of you. Everything. Everything. Everything that you have to give, I want it. And when we do that, Jesus said, you will have life more abundant. We just need to apply the truth of what God's word is calling us to. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. God, we thank you for, God, where you're coming from and how you're directing us and, and how you're calling us. Lord God, we want to be those who, who make the choice to look at your word, to see what your word says, and to say yes. I don't want to argue with you, Lord. I don't want to complain about why it's this way or why it's that way. I just want to say, yes, God, I want you to do this in my life. Yes, I want to experience the, the unstoppable life that you have for me. God, I don't want to be conformed into the image of the world. I don't want to just be like, like, I, like I was when I walked around in, in filth and wretchedness. I want to be a new creation created in Christ Jesus. I want to walk righteous. I want to stay in that place where you are, God. I made the choice to say that you are my Lord and Savior. And for me to say now I don't want to be with you doesn't make any sense. I want to be with you. I want to be where you are. I want to be empowered by you. I want to trust in you. I want to believe in everything that you lay out before me, that it's true, that the promises of God are true. And I don't want to live my life like I don't believe anymore. I don't want to live my life like I'm, I'm just going through the motions. I want to live my life wholly and completely devoted to you. I don't want to be that friend to God that's not really a friend. I don't want to be that person who's not really committed. I want to be totally committed. God, I know that I'm not perfect. And I'm not ever going to be perfect this side of this side of eternity, but I know this. I need you to be the center. The reason I get up in the morning. The reason I go to work. The reason that I do the things that I do. If you're not the reason, then I'm spending my affection in places that are hindering my walk and not helping it. Lord God, I want to be I want to be living a life that brings glory and honor to you and not shame. I don't want to be the person who realizes that I have been the greatest hindrance to the word of God going out. My example has stopped the word of God from being fruitful. I don't want to be that. God, we come before you, Father God, as as your people. And it's our desire, Father, that we would come to you with an attitude that says we need to repent. There's things in our life that, that, that are wrong, and we need to change and turn away from those things and turn toward you. So, God, may your spirit move through us in a mighty way this morning. Do your work in us. That we, little by little, step by step, change the world we live in, the community we grow in, and the place where we fellowship. Father, we pray that you be glorified in it all, through it all, in everything we do. May we do it for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have the prayer counselors come on up. We want to invite you to stay and uh, and worship with us as we close out in worship. We have service tonight. Hope to see some of you back here this evening. God bless you guys and go in peace.